we get close to the end of the service. And we'll have a time, just so you remember, we'll have a time where you can come down. You can give if you'd like to give to the Lord. You can also be prayed with. There will be people on either side who will pray with you. And you can also receive some communion. Now, how many of you came and asked me about this crutch? There was probably 25 of you. And many more of you were wondering what was going on. In the great uh, glorious giggle of God, or the heavenly hilarity, or the sanctified snicker, whatever that is, I'm preaching on the lame man today, and I hurt my leg Friday. So, uh, you know, an amazing thing. Actually, I'm just fine. But I was going to use this as a prop, and God said, okay, we'll let, we'll let you experience a little bit of that. And uh, I'm actually just fine, but... Um, it's interesting how even one day, which is what I had Friday morning, I played tennis. This is all Gary Sadler's fault. Played tennis with Gary Sadler and, uh, hurt something in the back of this calf muscle. And Friday I was lame even more so not just in character, but I was, uh, unable to actually walk very well. And, uh, it has an impact. So let's do this on the back of that page. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, some form of that. You're welcome to uh, look there. That version is a new international version that's printed there. Or you might want to read another version. I'm going to read to you John 5, in the first several verses up through the 20s, from the message. I just love what this version says. But you compare. See what that says, and, and so you can kind of keep track. I love the title even. 5.1 says, Even on the Sabbath. <laughs> Soon, that is following... Christ, not long after Christ's healing of the nobleman's son in Capernaum, sometime soon, according to this version, another feast. By the way, if this feast was the Passover, Jesus' ministry actually lasted three and a half years. If it's not the Passover, it might actually be a year shorter than that, which is interesting how important this is. But John doesn't give us a lot of details. So soon, another feast came around, and Jesus was back in Jerusalem and near the Sheep Gate, In Jerusalem, there was a pool in Hebrew called Bethesda, which means the place of mercy. And it had five alcoves and here hundreds of sick people. Remember that word, hundreds, many sick people, blind, crippled, paralyzed, were in these alcoves. And one man had been an invalid there for 38 years, longer than most people lived in this time frame. He'd been hanging around that pool. And when Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he had been there, how did Jesus know? We don't know. Maybe he had that insight, that knowledge. Maybe he asked. Maybe he learned. Another version says he learned. He said this amazing question. Do you want to get well? Doesn't that seem obvious? The man said, sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. And by the time I get there, somebody else is already in. And Jesus said, get up, take your bedroll, start walking. And the man was healed on the spot, is what this version says. Immediately, some of them say. He picked up his bedroll and he walked off. And that day happened to be the Sabbath. This is the first time that John mentions a specific Sabbath in his book. And so the Jews stopped the healed man and said, isn't this the question you would have asked? It's the Sabbath. You can't carry your bedroll around. It's against the rules. Seriously, the guy's been hanging out for almost 40 years by the pool, and your comment is on the rules. Actually, 
This rule was in the Mishnah section of the Talmud, but it's not in the Mosaic Law. But it was described as you couldn't pick up and move something from one place to another. But the man told them, well, the man who made me well told me to. It's his fault. He said, take your bedroll and start walking. And they asked, who gave you the order to take it up and start walking? But the healed man, amazingly, didn't know. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. A little later, Jesus found him in the temple, probably out in the courtyards. And this was not very far away from the pool, by the way, in proximity. And he said, you look wonderful. You're well. Don't return to a sinning life or something worse might happen to you. Might be some insight as to what caused this. Although in John 9, when when Jesus heals the blind man, he specifically says it was not his sin that caused that one. And the man went back and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well, ratted him out, in effect. And that's why the Jews were out to get Jesus, because he, he did this kind of thing on the Sabbath. Many parallels here. We'll get to chapter 9 if you hang in with us for a few more weeks and uh, talk about the blind man. Many parallels. So Jesus spoke up. My father is working straight through even on the Sabbath and so am I. Now this sounds like a pretty simple sentence, but there is a, a bunch of very close relationship implied in this between him and the father. And the rabbis had taught for a long time that God kept working on the Sabbaths to hold the universe together and to bring birth and death and everything else. So that wasn't an uncommon thought. But what was uncommon was that Jesus working on the Sabbath, he said, was exactly the same as doing the work of God. Not like the prophets of old who did representations occasionally because God gave them the approval, but he was doing God's work as an agent of God. And that really set them off, is what this version says in verse 18. The Jews were now not only out to expose him, they were out to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was calling God his own father, very close relationship, unlike any human being could have, and putting himself equal to or on a level with God. They understood what Jesus claimed in that simple sentence. So Jesus explained himself at length. I'm telling you this straight out. This is urgent information. In the Greek, it says, Amen, Amen, Lego Humin. It is, I am telling you this. This is serious business. It would be the Amen that you would give after, I'm not kidding here. Pay attention. He says it here. He says it two more times in this passage, and he says it some more in the rest of John 5 here. The Son not technon, which implies inherent character, not just a kid of God, but he inherently has the character of God. Jesus never used technon, which was the, he's my child. That version of himself is the son. The son can't independently do a thing. He only does what he sees the father doing. And what the father's done does the son does the father loves this is interesting you know the loves probably if you know any of the bible uh, story in the greek at all agape is typically the outpouring i'm giving away love the position of one in in power or authority giving to another sacrifice this is phileo which is we have common interests we're on the same ground with each other jesus used that the father loves the son And includes him in everything that he's doing. Jesus actually claims to know the intent of God behind everything that he is doing. 
Do you get the impact of what Jesus is communicating here? I hope you're hearing this. But you haven't even seen the half of it yet. I love that phrase. For in the same way, verse 21, that the Father raises the dead and creates life. That is to make something alive out of nothing, no life there, actually completely an action that is reserved for God. As the Father raises the dead and creates life, so does the Son. The Son gives life to anyone that He chooses. Unbelievable claim. And neither the Son nor the Father shuts anyone out. The Father handed all authority to judge over to the Son so that the Son will be honored. The judging there is also an action only for God to do. The right to judge and to to make claims and to determine who's actually on what side here. And the Son will be honored... That is, the word is honor, revere, respect. It's the idea of worship equally with the Father. Ladies and gentlemen, as Jesus keeps building this case here, he is not making a place for him just being a nice teacher. A guy who just happened to know a couple of good verses to quote off. Or somebody who is going to bring some some new instructions in in the word of a prophet. He is equalizing himself with Father God. This is amazing, the claims. Anyone who dishonors the Son dishonors the Father, for it was the Father's decision to put the Son in the place of honor. It's urgent. Amen, amen. The, again, he's saying that. Here's this. You've got to listen to this carefully. Anyone here who believes what I am saying right now and aligns himself with the Father, who has in fact put me in charge at this very moment... Jesus is not talking about some life that's way out there after death somewhere. This is immediately, at this very moment, the real lasting life. He has that and is no longer condemned to be an outsider. This harkens back to the the man picking up his bed and walking immediately. It's a connection to that. It also connects all the way back when John writes in chapter 1 when he says, In him was life. Jesus said, I have the power of life and death, and I have the power of judgment over all. And I'm equally doing that with my Father. And here's the verse. This is it. If you believe that that's true, you get life. You get life. Belief in my claims equals life. Unbelievable passage with some things in it. We're going to take a few more minutes and unpack a few things. I thought about this in this passage because of some triggers in here. What is missing? If you saw the title there, I put down, what is missing here? What's going on that's missing? I I used to get a magazine when I was a kid. Man, I'm going to date myself right here. How many of you remember Highlights Magazine? All the people up the middle here remember that. Okay. Highlights Magazine had this little section in it where there would be pictures two side by side with each other. And you were supposed to look at the one picture and then remember it. And then look at the next picture and figure out what was missing. Do you remember those pictures? They're a really good mental tool for us. They teach us some things to look, to pay attention. Sometimes they've just moved the crutch just a little bit like that, right? I mean, that's all they did. What's, 
What's going on there for us to look? Ladies and gentlemen, I think if we look at this passage, there are some things that are missing that if we find them, it can be life-changing. It really can. First of all, what's missing? There's a missing verse. Did you look at the numbers? Now, the numbers are not on that, on that page in front of you, but if you have another Bible in front of you, it goes 1, 2, 3, 5, 6, 7 at the beginning. Why? Because there's a section that actually is kept in just a couple of the, the translations that we have today. And it says this, uh, At the pool of Bethesda, there were a number of people, sick, blind, lame, withered. And here's the section that's been removed in many passages. Waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool, stirred up the water, and whoever then first, after the stirring up the water, stepped in, they were made well from whatever disease that they were afflicted with. And that's been removed. Why? A lot of the oldest unseals, the oldest versions from the 300s, 400s, 500s, do not have this verse in there at all, this section. And in fact, in some of the later ones, it's written out in the margin adds interesting meaning to the idea of marginalized. It's written actually out in the margin, this, this idea. But if you look at verse 7, when the man says, you know, I'm trying to get in this pool because when I try to get into the pool and the water is stirred up, I'm trying to get down there, but somebody gets in front of us. That doesn't even make any sense if you don't have that section in there from the, in the beginning, back in 3 and 4. It's an interesting thing that we learn about the Bible. The truth is, we can make heads or tails of this section without that verse. That's the good news, without that little section. We can make sense of it. And that is not the point of this passage. And amazingly, if you do some research and find out about the New Testament and your Bible in general, there are very few passages like this that there's some question marks. Like, when was that written? Who wrote that? What was that about? Maybe they did some research later and and said, here's what the guy was talking about. And then it found its way in. In any case, it helps us. It's not unhelpful information. That's one of the fascinating things that's missing in here is actually a verse. Now, here's something, though, that I think is missing that is even far more surprising. And that is there's missing hope. Missing hope. Now, we have some modern pools that would kind of be comparable in some ideas to what uh, this man was sitting by. There's places, uh, the Ganges, people believe you you get in that water and it can heal you. Um, There's places in St. Peter's Basilica where you can be healed. Um, If you go to Mecca, there's some times where you can receive a healing. Places around Jerusalem, Lourdes, there's a bunch of places where there's belief that you can physically go somewhere and maybe people are healed there. Maybe that's true. It illustrates, though, how desperate we are to get rid of these. You know, we're desperate to get rid of these. How many of you thought when you walked up to me today, wow, he there's something going wrong. And now what what would that difference would that make? It definitely made a difference in my life Friday. I was walking around. I couldn't pick up and carry half the things I'm used to. I was stumping downstairs like I'd never been on a set before. It makes a difference to us. We often have this outside hope in something that maybe, maybe, right? There's not a depth to our hope. And in this case, there were hundreds of people around. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus, by the way, did not heal them all. 
He picked one guy. And a number of people that day were still left by the pool waiting. Hope? Kind of? Maybe? 38 years the guy had waited here. 38 years. Interestingly, the same amount of time that the Jews wandered around in the wilderness. 38 years waiting for the answer. When Jesus asked him the question, did you catch this? Jesus said, what do you want? Do you want to be healed? Did the guy ever answer the question? No, he never answers the question. Why? He's caught up in the solution. He's trying to make sure that the solution gets done so he can get to the water. He's like, maybe in his mind he's thinking, well, that's a stupid question. I don't know what he's thinking. But he never even addresses Jesus with the possible potential in his mind that Jesus could do something about it. He actually is just saying, here's what I'm waiting for. And maybe he's thinking on an outside flyer that Jesus will arrange for somebody, because Jesus is obviously a rabbi. And maybe Jesus will arrange for somebody to get him down closer to the water. That's about it. Not much hope. And Jesus' question was not designed as a silly question. It was designed, now listen very, very close to this. Very closely. Amen, amen. Listen. Jesus' question was designed to take the man further down into his need. To emphasize. It was not to to make fun of the man by any stretch. It was not to, as a flippant kind of a thought, well, here's a silly question. Jesus is trying to drive him down more in. Now, why would Jesus do that? We're trying to learn about the identity of Jesus, some of which has been hijacked and hauled off all over the place, what he really was thinking, doing, believing, breathing when he went places. Was Jesus being cruel to this man? By no stretch of the imagination. Because hope, when hope is not resting on something that is of, of solid foundation, hope is no hope at all. And Jesus is trying to take the man down further to say, you're hoping in something that really doesn't matter. Doesn't have the power. Isn't really what this is all about. Isn't even why you're lame in the first place. Jesus takes him down in there. Now, I'm amazed as I consider my own life, and I ask you to consider your own. How far we go away from hope into self-destruction, bad decisions, hopeless place. We drive ourselves even further down into the lack of hope on a regular basis. I encounter people who make their situation worse. They make it worse. They make it worse. They make more bad decisions. And I wonder, what would it take for us to put the brakes on, first of all? And second of all, look for hope somewhere that's outside of ourselves. What would it take for us to look for hope outside of ourselves, to not believe we are the answer? Self-improvement through education, personal growth, and even spirituality is not going to cut it, folks. Self-improvement, you still come up to here. You're still a million miles short. A million miles. And Jesus was highlighting this, illustrating it, pointing it out 
in the question. Some of the great iconic thinkers have, have commented on this. Augustine, 400 years after Jesus said, I, the truly pitiful one, was dry-eyed to my own perishing, God, from my loss of you. Who is more pitiful than a pitiable man without pity for his own soul, who weeps for others but will not weep for himself? Calvin in 1550 said, There exists in man something like a world of misery in which every man, being stung by the awareness of his own unhappiness, obtains at least some awareness of God. What? Yes, because we have to go down far enough in to where we realize, I don't have what it takes. Every man is stung by that and obtains at least some awareness of God. Ultimately, we can't aspire to God until we have begun to be displeased with ourselves. I'm not trying to leave you with some big old heavy downer here. It's just the reality of how this works. Jesus is illustrating that to this man. Blaise Pascal in his Pensees in 1650 said, What can man do then? He wants to be great. But he sees himself as small. He wants to be happy, but he lives with misery. He wants to be perfect, but he drips with imperfections. He wants to be loved and respected by others. Do all these sound familiar to you? They sure sound familiar to me. I walk around with these feelings. He wants to be loved and respected by others, but he knows his faults merit their hatred and their contempt. And so he concludes that these awarenesses are his mortal enemy. And he devotes his attention and all of his time to hiding his faults, both from others and from himself. He can't endure either that others see his faults or that they point them out to him. This is where we have to go. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't do ourselves or anybody else any service by discussing self-sufficiency. And that's why Jesus walked up to this one man up on the outer edge and asked him, do you want to be healed? And the man thought what you and I usually think, I got to get down to the water. And Jesus said, I got another plan. Hope was missing. Another thing that was missing is now as the man walks off, can you believe there's no mention of the fact by anybody that he's wandering around? That's missing to me. It's also missing to me the point of what is going on because as he's walking, the Jewish leaders walk up and they say, it's the wrong day to carry that bed. Aren't we smart? Aren't we smart? Ladies and gentlemen, it's amazing. We think it's about the legs. We think it's about the rules. We miss the point. What happened? I'm not, I don't know what happened for you today, but what happened for you in the experience of this worship time with this beautiful music? Did you get distracted by thinking about, I didn't know those words. I don't like that person in the middle. She's not tall enough. Jude didn't say that comfortably enough for me, and I wish he would have said something else. They didn't pray enough. They prayed too much. It's too hot. It's too cold. 
Could they do something? You see what we do? Even in our religion, we get caught up in the rules. We miss the point that it's not about the rules. And we miss the point that it's not about the legs. The, the whole dis- discussion of this whole thing is not about the man being able to walk. And that's what John, the reason John misses even hardly talking about it is because it's not about the fact that the guy was healed. We are missing right now in our modern religious culture in the United States. We are missing these two things desperately because we believe what God is here to do is to make our life better somehow. That's his job. Heal us, give us money, do something. Or we think he's here to give us some kind of an experience in worship that we like. Makes us feel better, feel comfortable, feel wonderful. And didn't that uh, pump us up? We miss the point. Miss the point. Often, this is what's really interesting. Often those who are born with less get the point. Do you know what I'm saying? You could tell me a story right now of a person that you know who was born with less or had a tragic accident and came to terms with who they are and become heroes with courage living forward. Jenny and I are fortunate to know a lady back in Indiana where we grew up. Her name is Laura Nauman. And Laura had a debilitating muscular and and, uh, neural disease that literally just pulled her right in physically into a chair and into a shell. And Laura easily could have just said, well, that's my lot in life. I guess I'll just stay in there. Or she could have said, God, you need to fix me. But here's what Laura did. Laura trained Roxy the Wonder Dog. Roxy is her service dog that took care of her for years and years. Laura would get people from the neighborhood to load her into her van, take her to the mall with Roxy the Wonder Dog. And Roxy had candy on one side of her little pouch, and she had tracks telling Laura's story on the other side of her pouch. And Laura would walk up to people, and excuse me, she would ride up to people in her electric chair with Roxy at her side. And Roxy was like a magnet. And the kids would come over and, and start to engage. And then the parents, who were a little more awkward and not really sure what to do, kind of come over. And Laura's smile would just break the ice. And Laura would tell them her story. And Laura probably shared Jesus' story with more people than most people that I know. Because Laura did not decide to stay and miss the point. She got the point. It isn't about the legs. It isn't about the rules. It's about what Jesus brings, which is life. And here's the understanding. Incident after incident after incident after incident in the book of John. John is driving stakes in the ground for us to consider. What are you going to do with Jesus? In this case, Jesus gives so many pieces of information to us to give us insight and understanding as to who he was. And he doesn't bring shame and judgment. He said that very clearly. He's not here to give us shame. Don't feel shame when we go down in and we realize how incapable, how limited we feel those truths about ourselves. 
Don't push him away and protect yourself. Definitely don't push away the people who want to point him out in you. Realize, Jesus says, I am bringing life. That may include healing right now. It did for this man. It did for other people in their stories. The, the nobleman's son in the story right before this, blind men, people who were not even alive, Lazarus was brought back out of the tomb. Jesus does like to bring and want to bring healing. But most importantly, he wants to bring life. Listen to this verse again. As, as he is saying, here's the point, guys. Amen, amen, echohumin. Truly, truly, I say this to you. Amen. Listen, he who hears my words, believes him who sent me, has right now life. Life eternal. That's what he has. He doesn't come into judgment, but he has crossed over from a place of death, which was true and far worse, and the lame man didn't even know he was a dead man. And we also, by the way, don't know if the lame man ever engaged with this. He may have, you talk about missing it, he may have walked away from the whole thing and never put his faith in Jesus. Never. But you have an opportunity. You're in this story. I'm in this story. We all have this chance right now because of what Jesus said to us. You're still waiting for a miracle, maybe. Or you're missing the chance for the faith that you could have in the right place. Or maybe you're clouded by your religiosity. Or maybe you have seen it, you believe it, and you have life. All of us are there right now. And I encourage you to consider, who are you in this story? Where are you in this story? What do you believe about Jesus' claims about himself. What will that matter for today and tomorrow? Ask yourself that question. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing story that you gave to us. And as the uh, musicians come up, as those who are here to help us, to serve us in uh, communion and with prayer, and as those come forward, God, help us in our hearts, me, everyone here to consider have we missed it is there something missing in the equation maybe we've heard a dozen 50 times we've heard this story are we missing it or are we hearing it do we get it thank you for the uh, love for the grace for the acuity the awareness the amazing man that Jesus was as he walked but also how he used these different signs, these different moments to illustrate for us who he really was. Thank you so much for this story that helps us, whatever our infirmity is, to see past it and to realize the real life is about eternal life. Have we moved from death to life? We give you our honor, our attention, our worship and praise because you are worthy of it. Pray all that in Jesus' name.